I'm Cesar Rubio, five-time past master of Palm Springs Laws number 693, and this is Masonic Muscle, where we focus on the strongest aspect of Freemasonry, a virtuous education of the mind, fortifying it with wise and serious truths, encouraging all brethren to increase their level of fitness one degree at a time, making exercise and study a cornerstone of our daily routine because Freemasonry is work. When you put in the work, you get closer and closer to the point within the circle. Masonic muscle. We give you more light, but no light weights. So get to it. And let's get started. All right, and welcome back to another episode of Masonic Muscle. Today, I have brothers Matt Parker and Cole Kubicki. Cole, Cole has been a, a, a listener of Masonic Muscle. I don't know at what point you started to listen, Cole, but uh, you've been sending you know emails and texts to me, and, or emails mainly. So I thank you for that. And uh, we'll get to you in a little bit. And brother Matt Parker, who hails from Zebulon Lodge number 609 and the Lodge of Nine Sisters. That was under dispensation was, I mean, you guys have your dispensation by now, I assume? Yeah. Yeah, that, that lodge is chartered. I'm, I'm no longer a member of that lodge. Uh, okay. My home lodge now is Wendell 565 with, with Cole. Oh, okay. Very nice. Cole. I mean, man, you couldn't, you couldn't get a better mentor. I mean, geez, geez, Louise. And, and so Matt, uh, brother Matt, uh, one of the things I wanted to hit off right off the bat was this uh, North Carolina Masonic con that's coming up. You guys are putting it together and give us a little bit about it. Tell us what's going on and what are we going to be expecting there? Oh, I would, I would love to. Um, and actually Cole is one of the co-organizers with us. Um, nice. You know, to be a newer master Mason, he's just jumping into the deep end right off the bat, but we have some excellent speakers lined up. We have uh, Joe Martinez, uh, Robert Johnson, if, if uh, everything works out, um, John Ruark, Jason Richards, uh, most worshipful brother Sean Bradshaw, and a couple of other pretty well-known speakers that we just have not locked in yet. Uh, but you know, once they get locked in, we'll be announcing them as well. It's just going to be a fantastic event. The Friday night prior, we're going to do a uh, meet and greet social, probably the local brewery, have some cigars. Brothers can mingle and and meet our guests. And then that Saturday, October 15th, will be the Masonicon, and then we will follow that with a uh, traditional festive board that evening. Uh, is th and this is not the first one I take it, Masonicon, or is this the first one you're putting together in North Carolina? It is the first one in the Southeast. Oh, wow. Okay. So, I mean, just with those names alone, I mean, you're guaranteed success already. Uh, geez, geez, you got we the big dogs. So. Yeah. You got the big dogs, and and I, I want to um, hit up something that I saw, I found on you, and that that's pretty interesting. Uh, the topics that you like to uh, talk about are you going to be presenting uh, at the uh, at the Masonic Con, or are you just going to be in the background? As of right now, I am not presenting. Uh, if there's time, I'm happy to do that, but mm -hmm. uh, I, I really want to bring in some of these other speakers and. Uh, uh, let them shine. Yeah, huh? let them speak. They have some great yeah. presentations. Jason Richards, for instance, uh, is all excited because he's working on a brand new presentation that he's going to debut just for us at the Masonicon South. Very nice. Now, now you going to you. This is why I was asking because yeah. some of uh, the programs that that you uh, focus on, and I'm pretty sure they've expanded by now, is uh, 
you know, George Washington's rules of civility and Masonry's influence on him, which uh, recently here at Palm Springs Lodge, we began to really focus since the 4th of July, we've been um, focusing on discussing uh, Declaration of Independence, uh, some of the founding fathers, some of the influences of Freemasonry on some of those documents, uh, but uh, Washington as well. And uh, the rules of civility that was brought up, we have the little book. And so you have to wonder, right, just, just how, uh, and, and the question has always been out there, just how much did Freemasonry influence the founding fathers mm-hmm. and George Washington? Another topic that you also um, focus on is the Hermetica and the path towards Masonry, how the ancient Egyptians and Greeks influences Masonry and Western culture. Now, now you're a man after my own heart. Now you're, you're digging in deep into the core of, uh, yeah, of, uh, you know, Freemasonry. And, and you see this movement, right? These uh, millennials coming in, they're, they're, they might not know how to express it, but they're looking for that, that type of information. And it looks like you're, you're all over that. Uh, another one is what are the ancients telling us? A comparison of ancient cultures from around the world. And then the last one is the hidden meanings of the first and second degrees, an exploration of the rituals and their deeper meanings. Because no matter, no matter how you look at it, in Freemasonry, something tells you to keep going deeper, huh? And just keep going deeper, keep going deeper, and keep going deeper. And the best, I guess the best way, if you're listening out here, for you listeners, to get a better idea of, uh, of the topics is you're focusing on philosophy, ritual, spiritualism, and symbolism, which is, I mean, that's, uh, that's the heart and soul of Freemasonry. So tell us, I want to know from you, and then I want to get to you, Cole, because I've got some questions for you. And and so does uh, um, your brother, Matt, here. But what are, you know, what are your, some of your thoughts on the origins of Freemasonry? Well, first, I'll just say, I think we've gotten so far away from what Masonry was intended to be. And I think we're seeing a pendulum swing where we're, Mm -hmm. You know, we're declining in membership. That's not necessarily a bad thing. The brothers who are now joining Masonry, like Cole and so many others, are joining for a different reason than their fathers or grandfathers joined. It's not necessarily for the fraternal experience, although that is important. It is for the deeper study of these philosophies and principles and symbolism, the esoteric meanings of, of a lot of these things. Uh, so that's really, and that's the reason why I became a Mason. That's what I was looking for. <clears throat> so I think we are seeing that shift where we are returning to that. And I do think that was at the core of early Freemasonry. Uh, and when, when you're talking like that, I just can't help but to think the initiatic experience. Right. I mean, yes. th- th- this this initiatic experience that that there's something more to it. And so when when it comes to the initiatic experience, what comes to your mind as far as Freemasonry? Well, for me, the definition of a of an initiatic experience is something that changes you. Once you go through that experience, you can never go back to being the person you were before. It fundamentally changes the way you see the world, the way you think, the way you feel, it is a very powerful experience. And so I have this little saying that uh, I've, I've gotten a little flack for. A lot of Masons don't like to hear this, but I say that we have thousands of Masons 
who were never initiated. Hell yeah, I agree. They'll say, well, yeah, 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 they were. They went through the degrees. Yeah, they went through the degrees. But if they didn't take anything away from it, were they initiated? Not only that, what about the intent? The officers themselves, um, you know, what kind of intent did they have behind it? So, I mean, but that distinction that you're making is, is definitely something that all lodges and all masons have to contemplate deeper. Were they really initiated? Because if, if the answer is no, and I think a lot of brothers in their heart of hearts know the answer, Mm -hmm. right? And the answer is in the negative, (laughs) unfortunately. So what you're driving at is true because now you have uh, uh, symbolisms, right? You have these symbols that are right there for us. Um, you have, jeez, uh, <laughs> I mean, it just, it just, some of these things, people just pluck things out and try to just hold on to something that's uh, not as substantial. But you have symbolisms and you have the esoteric. Explain to the listeners what you mean when you say esoteric. Oh, yeah, the dreaded E word. Yeah, yeah, um, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, the, the definition of esoteric is very simple. Eso meaning below or, or hidden, and teric coming from terra meaning earth or ground. So it literally means what is just below the surface. And that's what masonry is. That's what our degrees and what our symbolism is. Uh, we need to just peel back that top layer just a bit. And I maintain the belief that every Mason is esoteric. They may not realize it, but the minute they engage in thought, the minute they say, what does this symbol really mean to me? What did that degree say to me? They have stepped into that esoteric realm. And so I don't see a big distinction between symbolism and esotericism. I think symbolism is an aspect of esotericism. And obviously in your, in your, oh, I can't say obviously, right. The man must speak for himself. You're, uh, you believe that this would, if done correctly, that this would increase the engagement in the membership. Absolutely. Done correctly. Done correctly. Right. Done correctly. I mean, the ritual, the degrees, but more than that, the quality of masonry that is practiced in a lodge. Uh, when lodges complain about initiating new members and then they never see them again, or they're not active in the lodge, or they have uh, 25-year members who never show up at lodge. For the most part, if those brothers were getting their money's worth, if they were getting what they were looking for when they became masons, they would still be attending lodge meetings. We wouldn't have the rate of demit that we have. So instead of faulting the brother who decides to leave masonry, I think to a large extent, the lodge needs to look inward and say, why did we fail this brother? What could we have done? And that's where a lot of lodges, again, um, I just said it earlier, right? They, they, they don't want to do that. They don't want to look uh, within, which everything in masonry is telling us to look within. And I think because a lot of times we don't like what we're seeing when we look uh, within because the answers are right there and we just don't want to acknowledge it. Well, a lot of that is, is uh, ego, I think. 
it's this is the way we've always done it. This is our lodge. And they're not accepting of new ideas. They're not accepting of change. And then when they can't understand why no one else feels the way they do about masonry or why no one attends their meetings, why, you know, some lodges have to go dark because they don't even have enough members to even show up to open a meeting. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it happens everywhere. It's not, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not one regional thing. It's, it's everywhere, really, across, uh, across the United States. It's endemic. Everyone's talking about, you know, the, uh, uh, the dreaded word, right, the pandemic, but we've been having one for many, many years, way before this. Um, and there you go. It, it's, it's there. And nobody wants to uh, correlate the causes you know, the, what, what's the cause of these uh, side effects, right? These are just uh, things that are outside. It's, it's the same thing with uh, contemplation or meditation. And I talk heavily about that. I, I manage to work that into every one of the presentations I give now, the importance of meditation and contemplation. Because if a brother takes time to look inward, he is going to see things about himself he doesn't like things he wants to improve. He will come in to contact with his true nature or what he has assumed is his true nature. Lodges are no different. Lodges need to look internally. Why are we hemorrhaging membership? Why can't we engage the members we have? You can't blame it on all of the brothers. Yeah, sometimes there's a brother who joins for the wrong reasons or their family and job or whatever may keep them away. Other things happen. But if you have a lodge of 100 people and you only have seven to 10 showing up for a state communication, that's a pretty large discrepancy. What's going on there? Um, I often say, you know, in, in, uh, in conversation with uh, uh, my fellow brethren at lodge and uh, the surrounding lodges around here, that it's up to every individual lodge to do that work. They, each one of them has to get together and begin to ask these questions, look within and figure out why they are even, they themselves are getting together at lodge. It doesn't have to be because we want to study the esoteric or the spiritual, whatever, right? But they have to know why they're getting together. And most of them don't even do that work. And hence lending more to the, you know, to the attrition rate that we're experiencing but it takes what you just said you have to go within and going within sometimes is too much work it's too uncomfortable uh, you know what what whatever it may be now i know um in our correspondences you know you, you were excited because uh, cole was going to be on so let's let's begin to include cole here what, what questions should we start throwing at the youngster here at the, at the young uh hiram here the youngster, you know, I would love to hear Cole t talk about the initiatic experience for himself. What did it mean to him to be initiated? That, Cole, I don't think we've ever had this conversation. Hey, tell the world, Cole. I don't think that we have yet. And, you know, I definitely have pause in my answer because, like, this moment is fro frozen in time, right, in a way. And I think that the further I get from it, the, the different meanings, like they change for me, right? So, you know, this is going to be a snapshot. I might feel differently a couple months from now, a year from now. I'm sure I will a decade from now. But, 
you know, for me, the experience, the thing that I remember most distinctly is sitting in the lobby of the lodge before my first degree. And, you know, obviously you're nervous, you're anxious, you're excited, but I stopped and I was like, how can I remember this moment forever? How can I freeze what I'm feeling, the anticipation of this? And then I had the second thought, which is how many people throughout history have felt the exact way that I feel? It's like you drive down the highway and how many cars have driven that highway before you, right? But this is a secret road, right? This is a path only for people that are looking for it. And that was really special to me as I, as I began uh, my first degree was just to think of all the people throughout history, you know, especially the people whose monuments you've been kicked out of, who, you know, they, they did the same thing. And I hope that we all had the same intention in doing it. So, you know, for me, it was, I, I was never coming into masonry to be saved right? You know, we talk about this, like making good men great. And I think that that's one of the fallacies that Matt kind of touched on earlier, right? It's not anything to save us. It's something to, for me, give me the tools to work on myself and to put me into this microcosm of people that want to do the same thing, because that's extremely rare these days right? Everyone wants to just sit on their phone and scroll and compare their lives to other people. But the people that are coming into masonry for what I feel are the right reasons. And as Matt is saying, the people from my generation that are joining, they want something deeper. And that's what I wanted, right? I wanted a small framework to build off of. I wanted to find where the ground was and go below the surface. So for me, you know, it was, it was very overwhelming. It's a very, I don't want to get too deep into it and say things that we shouldn't, but it's a, it's a full sensory experience. It is all of the dimensions that we take for granted. Like you walk through the world, you might not be listening to what's going on around you. You might, I mean, my wife jokes with me all the time about all this. Did you see that? No, I missed it, right? Like the experience forces you to pay full attention and be fully present. And that was my, my main goal. And I think that for me, it was just this very, profound moment, I think, as I finished my first degree of everything is different, but only if I make it right. Nothing magical happens to you. There's deep personal context, but then it's up to you to continue to do the work, right. And to continue to delve deeper. So that would be like my first pass. I think that the question's very general. If you want to, you know, break off pieces and we can digest it, we can, but it was like opening this very large door into myself. 
Well, pretty intense, right? I mean, everybody, I, I don't know if I had that many thoughts uh, when I was sitting down at, in the uh, in the lobby waiting to, uh, you know, for that step to be taken. Um, that's the advantage we have with all these podcasts now and YouTube channels where we, we it helps us to, to organize our thoughts and try to figure out what we were uh, thinking or, or what was going on. Um, there's a lot of pros and cons to that, right? To the, all these YouTube channels and all these uh, podcasts now. Uh, but um, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, a great man has stepped in there before. Um, they all were expecting something great. And yeah, I agree with, the, with, with what you said. We take a good man and make him better. Well, if we really think about it, how, we, you got to ask then, well, how? How is it, how are you going to make me better? How is this going to make me better? And when Allah doesn't have a response other than saying, well, well, you know, we have a pancake breakfast and that money that we raise, we're going to give it to whoever. And, and you know, that's, that's kind of the answers I was getting. And so I was, the, the answer was never clear. How is it going to make me better? All right. So Cole, uh, you've been one of, uh, uh, you know, I don't know how long you've been listening to, to my podcast. I know you listen to just like me. I listen to many other podcasts, but you've been interacting, you know, with me on and off and some of the stuff that you, because of Cole, you know, on the intro, uh, we give you more light, but no lightweights. That was Cole's, that was Cole's, uh, uh, idea. And I loved it. As soon as I saw, you know, the innate genius that we all have in us just waiting to come out. And I believe that Freemasonry it was that's one of the platforms it was giving us to allow our genius innate genius to come out but somehow it's been stifled um uh, i don't know i don't know how so having said that cole i want to get back to you in a minute i want to ask your mentor um matt something here and so and this is gonna this this might this may be for both of you right because we're all on the internet where we're all seeing these crazy uh conspiracy theories so let's let's play that what conspiracy theory masonic conspiracy theory has helped shape your perception of freemasonry and our world think about that wow i mean think do we start with one. the national treasure movies or or what just um, just yeah you want me to pose it again to you or or you got yeah, it. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about that it, just because <laughs> I don't know that any of the conspiracies really played any impact on my masonry or even my decision to become a mason. Uh, in fact, um, frankly, I, I grew up around a lot of masons, uh, men that I didn't know were masons growing up and later found out they were masons. Uh, okay. I have no sonic, you know, pedigree in my family. Um, and I wanted to be involved in what they were involved in because I looked up to them. These are great men. And I still look up to them. Um, so I really never paid attention to any of the conspiracy theories. Okay. And what about you, Cole? You know, I, I don't think that there's any that shaped my perception of masonry or my, you know, draw to it, et cetera. But I definitely remember, you know, being younger, seeing like history channel episodes and stuff about conspiracy theories about, you know, masons in Italy, like 
you know, throwing a diplomat in the river or something. And to me, it always seemed a little bit ridiculous. Like I never, I always kind of thought of, you know, people try to put Freemasonry and the Illuminati together, right? It was all one thing and they're controlling the earth, right? They're running government. And I always saw it as, as two completely separate things. I, you know, do I think that there might be a dark, you know, acting force that exists in our world and makes decisions that force people in power to do certain things, highly possible. Mm. But I always saw that completely separate from Freemasonry. I saw Freemasonry as something that was almost more of like the white light that opposed that darkness. (laughs) That's what I would say. Interesting question, huh? I mean, because they're they're out there. The the these conspiracy theories are out there, no matter what, and some of them have have uh, have played a role in how we view Freemasonry. No matter, I mean, the National Treasure is a you know a softer conspiracy theory, but that's what it's it's going to. It's well, I, saying, I know brothers that that joined Freemasonry because of the national treasure movies or the Dan Brown books. And that's the reason why they joined. And then they discovered a different side of masonry and they fell in love with that. And they forgot about the reason why they joined to begin with. It wasn't about finding the Holy grail anymore. It was about, you know, the self-discovery. So, you know, I'm happy that these brothers stuck around. I'm happy that they discovered what masonry truly is, not the, not the fictional side of it. Uh, So I think in some ways, some of these, pop culture references, some of these uh, conspiracy theories, things like that have really led some good men to masonry. Exactly. And and so that's my point of that, you know, at first, because we don't, we, we hardly ever get asked these questions about, you know, Masonic conspiracy theories, but in a good way, not, not in a bad way for me. um, I'll tell you it's there. It's the book that's right there to your right, brother, Matt. And that is the Hiram Key by Christopher Knight and Robert Lomas. I mean, there's a lot of conspiracy theories, you know, floating around through there. They they tied it together, and you know, they they proposed it. They said, yeah, it's a theory. This is a working theory. As time goes on, some of these things may be proven right, some of them may be proven wrong, but this is our working hypothesis, you know, of, of what it was. And so that really, um, when that book came out, what like in '95 or something, '96. So to be able to um, uh, uh, talk about it, address those and not be afraid of it, not be uh, of where I might go. I mean, so what? We're, we're speculating. Part of it, what we're supposed to be doing is speculating. Now, and, and now and, and tie it into that, uh, you know, it's, that's all about education. That's all about trying to get the word out there. And you, Brother Matt, you, you want to reach more brothers through education. You want to grow, you know, the, the, this, the North Carolina Masonic Research Society. Talk about that. What, what do you have in mind? What does that yeah, look like? So in uh, 2017, I approached the Grand Master with this idea. I said, you know, there are lodges of re- research around the country. There are um, research societies and groups, but we don't have anything like that in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And I was not volunteering to organize this or create this. I was just throwing that out there. And the grandmaster patted me on the back. He said, that's a good idea. Let me know if you need any help. And he walked off. 
Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, so that, that was the genesis of the North Carolina Masonic Research Society. And what it is really is a, just a loose uh, group of brothers from around the country, really. It started in North Carolina, but now we have brothers all, everywhere just contributing to Masonic education, whether it's giving presentations in Lodge, giving presentations online or podcasts, writing scholarly papers. It's just really a, a forum to uh, encourage more education. And, and in connection with that, because all of that, uh, and also you, you mentioned something about, uh, you know, uh, maybe one of your aspirations or one of your goals is to get a book out there, a Masonic book. Uh, what is this book uh, looking like uh, in your mind, at least? In my mind, I actually started the book in 2016, and every mm -hmm. now and then I'll, I'll pull it off the shelf or out of the hard drive, as it were, yeah. uh, and tinker around with it. But um, the probably the first book that I would ever publish would be addressing some of the core issues within Freemasonry today. What is hurting Freemasonry? Let's talk about that. In your opinion, just give me one or two that really, really resonate with you and you, you need to get the word out. Uh, education is first and foremost, number one. And I use the allegory or metaphor of the Thanksgiving table. So you, you show up at Aunt Betty's house for Thanksgiving dinner. And there's this huge turkey in the middle of the table. And you have all the size, the cranberry sauce. Um, you know, cousin Susie's green bean casserole, whatever the case may be. But there's so much food there. You know that you can't consume everything, but you want to try everything on that table, right? Now, I do. Would you show up to someone's house for Thanksgiving giving if you knew that all they were serving was green beans and nothing else? No. But that's what's happening in our lodges. <laughs> we're serving green beans. <laughs> we're serving green beans. Both, both literally and figuratively, both. But we're just green beans. It's so bland. It's so dull. There's nothing of significance or importance there. You're not being satisfied. And so it takes a lot to form a lodge. It's not just one thing or another. Uh, and lodges have to understand that first and foremost, when you think of Thanksgiving, you think of that turkey in the middle of the table. That is education. That is enlightenment. That is the centerpiece of what a lodge meeting should be. Everything and, else just sides. And you said a key word. It's a lot of work. And in my podcast, you know, Cole can attest to this. I'm always talking about, you know, you got to put in the work, whether it's in your personal garage gym, you know, my dungeon that, that I'm always talking about or, or in the gym, uh, because that the, the correlations are, are many between uh, exercising and and lodge and the main one is that if you don't use the tools that you're given in a gym or not even in a gym right you can do you can do push-ups pull-ups sit-ups run every day and you'll get results but if you don't do that work you're not going to get any results there's work involved so let me throw this out there to you okay every major religion in the world refers to you as the temple as the temple your body is the temple now what is the masonic lodge symbolic of 
King Solomon's temple and the your body. temple. You are the temple. You are the lodge. So just as you should exercise and keep your body physically fit, the same work has to go into the lodge. The lodge has to exercise. If not, they develop apathy. Yep. Yeah, weak muscles. And and so, and and then, okay, now let's connect something else here. Um, because all of that takes time. And we begin, if we go headlong into this and we're not paying attention, we, we can run ourselves ragged. And you mentioned something about time and how you realize that, you know, you just don't have enough time to get all this done. So, you know, uh, sure. Explain what, you know, to, to us, what happened? You must've run into something. What happened with, with time or. Yes, yes. I mean, you don't have enough time. And, uh, you, you know, you have a lot of events. You, you go to visit other lodges. And so you just don't have enough time to, to do all this stuff. Yeah. Outside of my nine to five job, um, it is pretty much masonry. I probably put more hours in the masonry every week than I do uh, my vocation. It's, uh, and I don't regret that at all. Okay. Not one bit because I'm, I'm just that passionate about it. But what I want to see is that passion in other Masons like Cole. Mm-hmm. I see that passion in Cole and that inspires me to keep doing what I'm doing. And I get messages at least once a week from brothers around the country who are so dissatisfied with their Masonic experience. I've had brothers reach out to me wanting to leave masonry mm-hmm. and i think they reached out to me because they were just looking for that one last lifeline yeah to hold them in there yeah. and i give the same answer each and every time if you are not receiving the experience you were looking for in the lodge be the change because i guarantee there are brothers in the lodge that are probably looking for the same thing you are but no one is speaking up be the change. Now, Cole, here's a question for you in regards to time. How are you spending your time with your Masonic studies? Um, you know, uh, at Lodge, because you're a young dude. So, you know, uh, a young man's time is, is spread thin. And it's not about balancing your day. It's about focusing on what's most important. So how are you applying that? It's a good question, and I'll be honest, it's it's been hard. It, the way that things shook out for me, you know, with with my work, it got as busy as it's ever been uh, after I received my second degree. And I had to push really hard to, you know, study and learn my catechism and, you know, be raised to a master mason. And then I was kind of like, okay, like, I can finally like take a deep breath and I can, you know, take a second and try to recollect and like get a little bit more work done than I need to, as far as my profession is concerned. And then I just kind of had this moment where I was like, no, because you're actually not done. Like, I mean, we're truly never done, but I wasn't proficient yet. Right. I hadn't returned, you know, my third degree catechism and I really had to, look inward to myself and say, Hey, you're just making excuses. You're telling yourself you don't have the time to do it. And you do. 
and I attacked it in bits and pieces with uh, my coach, Phil. So I don't know if Phil listens to podcasts, but I do want to say shout out Phil and I appreciate all the time Phil he took with me. But um, yeah, now it's just, you have to break it up into pieces really. Especially we're, we're all busy, right? We're adults, we have jobs and we have families and we have to take care of them. And for me, you know, some of the things that I do, if I can't crack open a book, right? If I don't have time to, to sit there and open a book, you know, if I'm cleaning the house, there's a podcast in my ear, right? If I'm mowing the lawn, there's a podcast in my ear. Sometimes when I'm running, there's a podcast in my ear because education doesn't just come from a book, right? There's amazing books and they're all sitting behind Matt right now. But the, the truth of the matter is we have a lot of incredible technology that's put the thoughts and opinions of brothers at our fingertips. And not just that, but think of all the things that you read. Right. Think of all the articles that you read that RJ reads on whence came you, right? That they talk about a Masonic roundtable. Even if you don't agree what they're talking about, that's the point is that there's this active thought and process and ponderance because that's what it's all about. And that's how you begin to understand and unpack these things because at the end of the day, a lot of of masonry and understanding this cynicism that we're talking about it's personal context so really to sum it up i try to get in my studies however i can for me it's hard for me to sit still i usually don't have time to sit still but anyone can make the time you drive a car you walk a dog you mow a lawn you clean a house get your education in you can do it and, and your great answer and this is where something comes in that i've been repeating to a, a good friend of mine and that is where value is clear, the decision is easy. So if your lodge is providing the value and it goes back to what Matt was saying, you know, if, it, if the lodges hasn't gone within, if they haven't figured out what they want to do if they, and how they want to do it, what they stand for, how they're going to practice masonry, that it's going to become apparent the value is not there. So people will begin to drift away. But when you... When you're confronted with that, like me now that I'm aware of this thought, when value is clear, decisions are easy, that means that the responsibility now has fallen on my shoulders. Like I can no, I can no longer uh, hide behind ignorance or I didn't know or none of that, right? And that's part of the, uh, the contemplative part. When you begin to contemplate on it and you come to that conclusion, then you're like, okay, then how can we begin to bring value to the coals of the world, to all the newer Masons coming in? so that they do begin to spend the little chunks of time, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, to work on their memory work, to work on their catechism, to work on their presentation, to show up to Lodge early so that we can uh, continue the work and work together. Now, uh, Brother Matt, so excellent, excellent answer, uh, Cole. Matt, what has frustrated, frustrated you about Freemasonry you know, in this, in this time so far, and there's, there's a lot, right. Uh, but, but there's also good in there, but what has frustrated you? Uh, I think the, the biggest thing that's frustrated me is so many Masons that have no idea what Masonry really is. Mm -hmm. They think it's a charity. There are some that actually think it's a religion. Uh, there are, we've all encountered them brothers who, uh, insist that masonry is a Christian organization. Um, you know, here in the South, we run into that a lot. And, um, you know, I have to, to correct these brothers and say, wait a minute, 
What about our Buddhist brothers? What about our Hindu brothers? What about our Muslim and Jewish brothers? Hmm. You know, it, it, that's one of my pet peeves there uh, is just a misunderstanding of what masonry is. And then I think once we once we are able to answer the question, what is masonry? Uh, I think we will see a different type of experience in our lodges. Now, you said something that's very, uh, that is a very important distinction. Right off the bat, you said they think we're a charity. Now, can you expand on that? Absolutely. Uh, we, we, in North Carolina especially, we have lodges that all they do is focus on raising money for charity. And we have uh, three Masonic charities in North Carolina. We have the uh, Masonic Home for Children at Oxford. So it's a, a, a home that houses uh, children from underprivileged or um, backgrounds where, you know, they weren't getting the stable home life that they needed. Right. And so, you know, they're living there. Uh, we have a retirement community, the Whitestone Retirement Community. And we support our Masons and Eastern Star uh, who live there and need assisted living or uh, even as far as uh, dementia and Alzheimer's uh, therapy and, and treatment. We have one of the highest rated Alzheimer's and dementia units in on the East Coast at our Masonic home. And then the third charity is the Masonic Foundation, which... Uh, does a few things they they invest money for lodges so lodges can can hand their money over have that invested uh so that grows they also make sure that our charities the children's home and the retirement community are both taken care of so if they have emergencies things come up so to go back to what you were asking me there are so many lodges that focus on just raising money for those charities and nothing else. You also have lodges that focus on the shrine. You walk into a lodge meeting there and you might as well be in a Shriners meeting. Right. That's what they focus on. But they totally miss what masonry is all about. And I just sometimes I wonder, and I'll probably get hate mail for this, but sometimes I wonder if we need to be raising money for charity at all, because it seems to be distracting from what our our purpose really is. I think, and you're right, to add to what you just said, because, again, that's why I asked, and you're, you're right on it. Um, that's like their, uh, their way out from putting in the work within the lodge. You know, this is... Uh, we're not going to do all that, but we'll raise money and here you go. You know, and now we're, we're better men and we're Masons. We're better Masons. Uh, but I don't believe that that's what was happening um, at the very beginning. I don't think, I don't know where it began to change like that, that thought process that you just described right now. Well, historically, uh, what happened was after the Civil War, there was a little bit of a bubble. You had men returning from the Civil War that were looking for that same fraternal experience that they had. Uh, in the in the army, whether it be Union or Confederate, whatever the case may be. That was a small bubble, but they were looking for that fraternal experience, not what masonry was pre-Civil War. Then we had World War I, where we had another bubble. GIs returning from war. 
and flooding into fraternal groups like the moose the elks masons mm -hmm. after world war ii just 20 years after world war one roughly we have another huge bubble this time huge and what masonry is at its core was shoved to the back mm -hmm. and it was replaced by this sense of fraternity and bonding and and you know more or less became a supper club to some extent um and the the true meaning and symbolism of our craft was lost for at least a whole generation there and uh you know i think we're going through a masonic renaissance right now and a renaissance does not necessarily mean growth the declining membership is part of that renaissance we are returning back to what we were, I would say, pre-Civil War. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now you're saying get back to what, you know, what, what we're supposed to do and uh, what we're supposed to be focusing on. And one of your, you know, talking points, one of your programs is, like I mentioned before, the Hermetica and the path toward masonry, how the ancient Egyptians and Greeks influences masonry and the Western culture. Now now you're getting into some deep you know investigations uh you begin to use these correlations you begin to use these symbols certain phrases uh even uh correlations in initiatic rites and things like that um that are connected to what we're doing and maybe a lot of brothers they get turned off by that maybe the older generation i'm not you know that they're they're not well read. They don't understand it. They don't want to take the time to understand it. But the younger generations, the, the coals of the world, they are, they do want to know. Um, so I'll pose this to Cole first, and then I'll get back to you, brother Matt, to get your. I, I want to pick your brain a little bit about that. So, Cole, uh, is this some of what you're looking for as far as your journey? You want to uh delve into the possibility of these connections you know that this thing that this system is way more ancient than what we're being taught 100 percent. and you know i think that if you look at society in general you know and i hesitantly say my generation um there's a desire for something different than what we've been fed growing up right you walk into bookstores you see tarot you see pendulums you see a lot of these things that represent things that are esoteric that are now being mass marketed to people right and if you look at you know society and you know what matt just talked about right about all these different booms well well look at what was happening in the world and look what the focus became as we moved further and further away from the civil war and we passed through the industrial revolution and we reached this point where society is concerned with the outside right acquisition of goods to make you look a certain way and appear a certain way to people yeah consumerism it became less about what's inside and to me that's masonry mm. right and so you have people from my generation, we don't, we don't know it, we haven't quite connected the dots, but when we look at meditation, when we look at, honestly, drug usage, right? 
of hallucinogenic compounds, right? Or of cannabis or, you know, MDM, whatever it be. We are looking for something that allows us to touch a different aspect than consumerism, right? And this outward focus and this obsession on how we're perceived by other people. And they don't, they don't know it. They're not quite sure how to articulate that. But it's, it's appealing to all of us in a certain way. And it's 100% what drew me to masonry was that I wanted to dig a lot deeper. And we throw around this term esoteric masons. Yes, we know what it encompasses, right? People that are interested in those connections, people who want to see how far back it goes. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's a limit to how far back because I think that at the end of the day, you know, all of those ancient religions have seeded everything we have now. And I'm not even sure if I would use the term religion. It might be belief system, but the Egyptians, I think were the basis for what has been chopped up and rebuilt by lots of different cultures since then. And again, uh, I, I still stand by my question and, and Matt, you did an excellent job of, of defining, you know, esoteric, uh, but still you get confronted with, uh, oh, you like, you like the esoteric and, you know, that's okay. You know, but when I confront them with the, the simple question, well, what do you mean when you say esoteric, like as if, as if to uh, sweep it under the rug or quickly dismiss it and get back to whatever they were going to do. But when you really begin to delve into the question and you begin to get into the definitions of words and the etymologies and where it's coming from, Freemasonry and esotericism and, and spirituality are like intertwined, like from the beginning, from the start. You cannot separate them. That's how I understand it. I know it's crude and rudimentary, but let's get back to you, Matt. Okay. You said something very important there. Yes. Spirituality. Yes. Masonry is very, very spiritual. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of Masons miss that. They don't understand how deeply spiritual it really is. Not religious, spiritual. It's about you, your soul, your spirit, the true self. I always refer to it as the true self. Okay. I like that. And that is the purest form of you. Not who your teachers and parents and uh, you know, society has told you you are. They taught you how to dress, what music to listen to, what to eat, everything, what car to drive. That's all influence that we make the mistake of identifying ourselves by those material things. And when we strip all of that away, what's left? You. You. The true self. That is the essence of spirit. That is the essence of soul. Now, great intro to the Egyptian and Greek influence on masonry. So, give us a little, give us a little tidbit yeah, about you know, so your, your take on that. I stumbled upon the story of the Corpus Hermetica. My, yeah. uh, through a book by Graham Hancock, actually. Um, he wrote that book in about 2006. It was called Talisman. Yes. And it's since been uh, right reworked. behind you to yeah. your left. Uh, but it's been reworked into another version called The Master Game, where they're going in and 
and uh, added some more material to it. But he does an excellent job of tracing philosophies and the principles of the Corpus Hermetica from Egypt through Alexandria and the Greeks through uh, the Renaissance all the way up through masonry and really ties it all together beautifully. So I, I highly recommend uh, to any mason, get your hands on that book. If you want to understand how the, the Hermetica affected the masonry, it's right there. Graham knocked it out of the ballpark. Uh, but we often hear that masonry is a, is a uh, hermetic order, mm -hmm. just like the Golden Dawn is a hermetic order or the OTO. Right. All these, all these groups or, or Western esoteric schools are referred to as hermetic orders, but so few actually understand what hermetic order means. And so just the, the brief definition of what the Corpus Hermetica is, it's a collection of 18 books from ancient Egypt that were uh, originally, some of it was written down, but a lot of it was just oral tradition. And when the Greeks uh, went into Alexandria, they started transcribing everything. So they reduced uh, all these stories and principles and philosophies into writing. And that you know, went over into uh, Florence. Cosmo de' Medici was yeah. fascinated with this. Uh, he sends a monk, uh, Leonardo Pistorio, to go out and find these books. And Leonardo comes back with these books. And this is about 1460, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we're all familiar with uh, Marsilio Ficino, who was translating Plato for... Uh, the Medici at the time, and Medici stopped, stopped him and said, no, you need to focus on translating this. Mm. So the, the Corpus Hermetica was translated from Greek into Latin at that time. Um, so there are not really great English translations out there. They're, they're, they're okay. They're okay. Uh, I think some of them could be much better. But if you really want to understand masonry or the golden dawn or any of these initiatic orders go back to the root source the corpus hermetica and they say that in, in that vein that you were talking about where uh, medici uh, uh did that all of a sudden when when they got a, a handle on it and they began to read it all of a sudden you 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 begin to see the, a change in their philosophy you begin to see a change in the way they're handling business now and doing things and and beginning to spread it uh to the, the nobility of that time, either the black nobility or, or, uh, you know, that's still in existence, they say. So a very important book, very important time period. And, and lo and behold, who was it? A bankers, right? We we're always talking that we're always hearing about the banksters and the international banksters, and they're the ones who are behind everything that's happening. And there you go. The, the Medici's were no different at that time. They were, they had the money, they had the influence and they had the curiosity I mean, they understood the the importance of information and, and how important it was to have this information. And who told them that that book was important? Like, hey, here's the book, translate it, right? And, and, and figure out, you know, what, what it's saying so that we can use it to the best of our, but somebody knew, so somebody knew, and I'm pretty sure it's in that book uh, that you're talking about. They get, they delve into it. So that's, if you if you read like in the last couple of years, you know, I did I've been doing my best to read the constitutions, Anderson's constitutions of Freemasonry. 
and you see throughout what you're talking about, the hermetic principles, the alchemical principles, the uh, Kabbalistic uh, principles, and some say even Rosicrucian principles, but Rosicrucian, Kabbalistic, you, you know, they, they, they were, but you can see that throughout. And some say, no, that's not in there. You know, uh, Dr. Anderson did not include any of that, but I mean, I would beg to differ. <laughs> Anderson did include that. Uh, if you know what you're reading, it's there. It's there. It's yes. absolutely there. You see it. Um, Anderson wrote the uh, his constitutions, which, by the way, he didn't really sign his name to it anywhere. It wasn't really credited to him, but we know that he, he wrote that. Uh, but that was under the guidance of the third Grand Master of the Grand Lodge of England, right, right. Uh, Desagoulier. And the first two Grand Masters, the only thing they did was issue edicts that masons were to celebrate the feast of saint john's every every year yes so yeah the grand lodge of england was formed to eat yeah <laughs> really? yeah yeah to yeah. celebrate to feast and to uh, uh quarterly communications again that's it that's and it Desigoulier comes along third grandmaster of uh, the grand lodge of england and he's a deeply esoteric guy and he gets anderson to write these constitutions and it's very simple for someone who's not thinking in an esoteric mind frame and again i hate to use the word keep using the word esoteric because i think it has a negative connotation but uh, I, I just really can't think of a more suited suited word for this but if someone is not reading that through esoteric eyes they're not going to see it but when you start thinking deeper it is there, and it will smack you in the face. It is there. Uh, they even said um, later on, uh, maybe a few years later, when they were talking about uh, Anderson's constitution, and it might have been another, other Masons, that uh, he admitted that it was written in code. And so you, you had to have the code, you know, the cipher, and then go back and read it, and you can see what it actually says. So this has been with us since the beginning, brethren. I mean... Uh, for those of you who are wondering or for those of you who are on the fence, stop being on the fence. When you start to delve into it, it doesn't take you long. It's not hidden from us. You just you find all these documents and, um, and you'll begin to see this with different eyes, like, like you're saying. So then you have, so you have the, the uh, Egyptian and Greek um, influences on Freemasonry and Western, and, and Western uh, society and culture. And then all of a sudden you have this, the, the beginning, right? The beginning of what we know as Freemasonry. It really didn't take off till 1720, 1730, around there with the three degree system that uh, we, we know of. Now, how many correlations have you made in the three degrees of Masonry with what you're studying? I mean, obviously that's what it's, a lot of it is. Oh, quite a bit. Uh, you know, it can go anywhere from, studying the hermetic text to Kabbalah. Uh, you know, anyone that talks about the mil middle pillar, middle yeah. pillar, yeah. It's, it's all encompassed within masonry. Even Pike said that masonry was Kabbalah or very Kabbalistic. Mm -hmm. And that's even, Kabbalah is even mentioned in uh, Scottish Rite degrees. Right. It's there. Um, it may not be obvious to someone who's not familiar with that or, or is not looking for that. 
And what about you, uh, Cole? So let's bring you back into into the fray here. Um, is that something you're interested, the Kabbalah as well? Or is that like, uh, you know, I, I'm interested to learn the tidbits uh, of Kabbalah and not really dive into it. But is that something you're also uh, interested in? I am. I'm uh, for some reason, I'm very like attracted to that. I don't even know why, but I've always just felt very interested in the Kabbalah and wanting to understand it and unpack it. I have a book that I've read on it, and I think that it almost dove me in too deep at first. And, I mean, to be fair, everything that I understand about it is it is kind of a lifetime of study to try to unpack it and understand it. But yeah. I, I'm very interested in you know, and at some point in time, I think Matt and I will probably sit down and talk about it a little bit because that's what he's always, you know, there for me to do. But I want to kind of get the flyover of it and how it ties in because mm -hmm. it goes very deep, right? And the thing is, when you start to to study something, you you don't want to jump to the last chapter of the book and get overwhelmed, <laughs> like. I need right. someone to bring me through it incrementally because I am very interested in it. I know that it has relations. I mean, I had an experience where I was at one of my degrees and, you know, someone there kind of said something to me that stuck in my head ever since. And I've never really been able to sit there and unpack it with someone, but they, they talked about the Kabbalah a little bit. So yeah, it's, it's definitely something that is probably my next thing that I want to, to begin to study. And I believe that that um, one of the best ways and, and probably, you know, maybe the, the only way to get there, you know, we learn from Socrates and that is to learn how to ask better questions, to become better questioners, askers of questions. Because once you get that question, now you can begin to peel back, you know, peel, peel aside the, the layers of, of the onion, so to speak, right? By ask, only by asking questions can, can you begin to get to a lot of this, so, you know, the mentor can only take us so far, but your questioning and inquiring mind is going to take you the rest of the way and begin to show you the way. And as we, as we become better asks, askers of questions, now we can begin to like, well, why are there three pillars there? Why, why do they focus on the one pillar and what the middle path and all these correlations just like all of a sudden open up, open up to us. And the asking of the questions is key. It's tantamount. We have to be able to ask the questions. And, and if you don't like the answer or if it wasn't clear, you continue to press the question, why? 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 Like, like a, we're, we're a child again. Now, having said that, I have another question for you guys before, before we, we wrap it up here, right? Because we, we've been going strong here and we've been doing some heavy lifting today. Maybe not for Matt. It looks like he's not even broken a sweat here. We're going to have to get Matt into the gym here, uh, Cole. Yeah, get, a, get him out there and get, do some walking. Um, man, I had it. Okay, my question is this, Matt. You have more experience in masonry, and, and Cole, you can enjoy the benefit of this. They always say, or you always hear guys saying, you know, hey, why did you join Freemasonry? Oh, well, I wanted to join uh, a, a group of people that, ha that were of like mind. You know, that, that I wanted to join an organization of like-minded men. But 
the whole conversation today has been that we're not like-minded. <laughs> so do we actually join? When you joined Freemasonry, did you actually join an organization of like-minded men? Absolutely not. But going back <laughs> to something you said okay. just earlier, Go ahead. it ties into this perfectly. You said we're askers of questions, and I, and I often say that we are seekers. Mm -hmm. And humans are born seekers by nature. Think about, you mentioned little kids. Why? 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 They're full of questions. And a lot of times they're just stifled. Yes, and sir. We, we kind of grow out of that. But I think that's closer to who we are as little children. We are seekers. We're looking for those answers. It's not enough for someone to say, well, that's just the way it is. One of my, one of a phrase I absolutely detest is when people say it is what it is. Yeah. No, it's not. It's more. That. It's more. Yeah. Uh, so don't say that to me. And I'm guilty <laughs> of actually using that phrase. So, um, and then I'll stop myself and say, nope, nope, there's more to it. Um, I do think we're born seekers. I do think that that is our nature. And I think Masons, whether they consider themselves to be esoteric or not, they're seeking for something. I did not join a group of like-minded men. That was never my intention in joining masonry because we are all on our path. So I never judge someone else by their individual path because that's the path they need to be on. And it may not be where I am on my path. Right. And that's okay because my path is not for them. It is for me. And so we have to understand that we are not all like-minded. We are not all lockstep. We are not all on the same journey, but we're on our individual journeys together. We support each other. Well, that, I mean, that reminds me of the beehive, right? I mean, it's, it's the hive mind to a certain extent because we're trying to achieve something greater together, but we each have our individual roles. Um, but uh, I just when I, when I said you know we're askers of questions uh, and we must become better askers of questions, it reminded me of the phrase right of the master. He says you must become as children right to enter the kingdom of God. What I think he meant was that you your mind has to become uh, open again to inquire, to learn because that we're also in asking the question and then someone begins to answer. You're learning, and then if you're in a group, you know, ten to fifteen people. And you're all um, there to enter into a Socratic style discussion. Now it's not one mind focused on the on the question. It's ten or fifteen, just using your power to to discuss this thing, right? And to try and extract what what you can from it. And I think a lot of lodges can can really benefit from a practice like that, especially when you have brothers like yourself that have taken the time to to have these presentations to have these um uh, programs set for lodges to just hey sit down listen and when it's time begin to ask the questions because someone started somewhere you started somewhere and something just wasn't right causing you to go on the track that you're on now and you're going to continue to go yeah so let's talk about something uh, quickly sure on that on that line um I'm a firm believer in providence. Things happen for a reason. There are no accidents, whether it's divine intervention, whether it's just the universe, whatever your belief is, is providence. Mm 
and mm-hmm. everything happens for a reason. So I was very dissatisfied with my first few years as a mason because, again, we were practicing that green bean masonry we, we were talking <laughs> about earlier, right? Yeah. And I was actually contemplating leaving masonry. Yeah. I couldn't justify paying dues to a lodge for what I was getting. I couldn't justify spending my time in that lodge when I could be doing other things. And at that time, four great men, Masons, appeared before me, so to speak. One of them was our, uh, at that time, our junior Grand Warden, who's now a past Grand Master, um, and a few other brothers that came along right when I was at my lowest point Masonically. Mm-hmm. And that was exactly when I needed them. And they pointed me in a different direction in masonry. And Cole has a very similar story. I'll let Cole share this because it, it's it's very profound how Cole came to masonry, especially when you take into account providence, because it is, it's not an accident that Cole and I are members of the same lodge. There was a whole backstory that i'd love for cole to share that let's have at it go ahead cole yeah definitely um so you know matt had touched earlier on like masonic lineage in his family right and like i actually do have it um it's not why i joined masonry at all but you know i do remember my grandfather when i was 18 mailing me a book that was on masonry and it just kind of had a handwritten letter in it and said hey you know, read this chapter. And if you ever want to talk to me about it, you can. And I was interested in it. And I was curious 100%, but there was just something inside me that said the time wasn't right. I wasn't quite ready to undertake that journey. And, you know, it just so happened that I ended up at a bachelor party a couple years ago uh, for a very dear friend of mine who is also on his Masonic journey. So I do want to say uh, brother name and Mims. Uh, I love you dearly and uh, very excited for you to be raised. So I want to get that out of the way. But I was at his bachelor party and uh, a guy that he grew up with, uh, brother Noah Good, who is an incredible man, uh, 100%, just happened to be sitting outside with me and everyone else was inside. I'm not sure what they were doing, but we were just outside talking and we somehow got on the topic of masonry. And he basically said to me, hey, you know, we, you know, we went back and forth on a couple of things, right? I debated him on a couple of things and he said, you know, if you ever are interested in this, I want you to reach out. And I said, okay. And I think about a year went by and then there was just one day that I woke up and I was like, you know, a lot of things had occurred in my life to that point. And, you know, we won't even get into all that, but I think I said to myself, Hey, I'm finally ready. Now is finally the time a change has occurred within myself that has moved me into a position where I'm ready to undertake this. And I'm really ready to actually start working on myself because a lot of people think that they are and they're not. So, you know, I talked to Noah, I shot him a text and I said, Hey, you know, I, I'm interested now and I really want to get involved. And that's when he linked me up with Matt Parker. And it, you know, just so happened that Matt went to a lodge that was, you know, 10 minutes from my house. And man, I remember the first time meeting Matt Parker at a brewery, the whole group of brothers out there from various lodges. And he said, I'll be the one in the kilt. And he was right. And uh, so he was easy to spot, but yeah, it's, um, it's just amazing how providence does occur, right? Things are seeded 
and this trail of breadcrumbs throughout your life, you know, for me during COVID was when Matt and I linked up, right? So lodges weren't even functional. And so I waited about a year and, you know, he never forgot and I never gave up. And it's not like I would text him every week and be like, Hey, are lodges open again? But when the time was right, because more work needed to occur in me, truthfully, I thought I was ready and I wasn't. And I'm still not sure I was, I'm still not sure I am today, but I kept progressing to the point where I was exactly where I should be. And, you know, Matt was there to really kind of take me under his wing. So Matt, I can't thank you enough for that. You know, and I value every conversation that we've had and I look forward to many more. How awesome is that? I mean, you're right. Yeah. Um, oh, I'll give you a hundred bucks later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just give it yeah. to me cigars. It's fine. <laughs> I got your bottle of whiskey here. <laughs> yep. So the, the inner work and what you're talking about is inner work there, um, Cole, right? I mean, that's something, something inward and, and it, it's a calling. It doesn't happen to everybody. I know that. I, I know. I understand that. We all understand that. When you begin to go through the degrees, though, and if you really wanted to really begin to change uh, you, then you have to go within. That goes with anything, though. I remember, uh, you know, because I played organized sports and I really draw upon that uh, a lot. The, the, the trials and tribulations, you know, and the, uh, the challenge, uh, especially, you know, the, I fell in love with American football. I'm a baseball player, but I played high school football. And so, geez, going through how week, you know, together, uh, um, earning a starting spot, uh, getting hit holding onto the ball, not fumbling, you know, uh, getting that key first down, all these things. But uh, something internal had to happen in order for me to begin to achieve those things. Yeah, I was one of the fastest, if not the fastest on the team, but all that speed would, doesn't matter if you don't, if something inside doesn't click. And then you, you begin to, uh, to make the transformation. And it's the same thing here what we're talking about um and with that being said i i would like to go around the horn starting with you cole i i, I want to thank first of all thank you thank you for coming on both of you and sharing with us uh a, a lot of uh, your experiences a lot of your knowledge uh brother matt and tell us what you're grateful for uh cole on this day I think that right now I'm, I'm very grateful for conversations like this. And I promise that's not a cop-out answer. You know, <laughs> if you, if you go back and you, you listen to this conversation and one of the big common threads is education. Mm. Right. Yes. And I've gotten something out of this. Right. And I hope that, you know, the words from you and, and Matt can do the same, you know, like we said earlier, education doesn't have to always be cracking open a book, right? Mm -hmm. We have so many things at our disposal now, so many incredible resources to provoke thought and change within ourselves. That's why I'm glad that this is, this is happening, right? That people from two different sides of the country can sit down and have an incredible discussion to provoke thought in other brothers. So that's what I'm grateful for. Thank you. Matt, what are you grateful for today on this day? 
I am most grateful for energetic, passionate Masons like Cole, who are really making a difference in Masonry today. They are the new blood of Masonry. They are the ones that are going to continue to take this forward to the next generation of Masons. And I am so inspired and so uh, excited about this energy and this change. And, and I see, I see that in Cole, uh, just what he's brought to our lodge has been incredible. It's, it's a completely different energy with when Cole's in the room. Those are the brothers that, you know, I, I really admire. And that is what I am most grateful for. Very nice. I'm grateful for both of you being here. I'm grateful for uh, having an opportunity to converse with brothers in North Carolina. Uh, have, I'm, I'm grateful for having the opportunity, get, being given the opportunity to uh, finally speak with you, Matt. I've seen you on YouTube. I've seen you uh, on the, you know, the, the Masonic Roundtable with the, you know, the civility and what have you. And so, you know, some of us, it's, it's our goal is to finally touch base with, with you guys uh, and pick your minds just a little bit, you know, and that's just the beginning. I mean, I'm pretty sure if we were in the, you know, if I was over there, or if you were over here and we were having a drink and a cigar, this conversation is going to be going forever, right? We're just not going to get tired of it. I don't get tired of it. But I understand we also have other obligations. So I am grateful for that. I'm grateful for also being given the opportunity to help begin to talk about and promote MasonicCon in North Carolina in October. You have a great lineup going. I'm grateful to hear that Cole is, is jumping in the breach and helping you put this thing together. That's awesome, Cole. So, man, you know, you keep putting in the work, guys. And, and I, think, I think what we're all kind of agreeing on is that the, the work is inner. In the work that we have to do, it is hard work. You do have to commit. It does take discipline. It does take a lot of effort, but it is worth it, right? Where there's value, where, where value is clear, the decision is easy, is, is what I'm gathering uh, from, all, from all of this. And most of us are willing to share all of this. You know, just, just ask us. Just ask us or just ask the question. Be, be better askers of questions, guys. And with that, we leave you. Thank you, guys. These strong sessions are calculated to inculcate in the mind of the novitiate the importance of subduing our passions and improving ourselves in masonry, feeding the attentive ear with the sound of the instructive tongue, endeavoring to add to the common stock of knowledge and understanding, effectively spreading the cement of knowledge and wisdom and hopefully spreading some enthusiasm to get out there and get your body in motion. Go into your lodge's library and look up those books about the mysterious origins of Freemasonry. How about that?